0: The Agora Podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at (laughs) Bibcot.org. Welcome back to uh, the Agora Podcast presents Into the Void. And we're introduced with the uh, sounds of uh, Black Sabbath, as usual. That's our special theme music. Um, I'm I'm thinking about recording an audio essay uh, coming up. Some extra bonus content it might be Patreon only. Maybe we can get some uh, some cat scratch fevers, some the nudge on there. Something something interesting, you know. But yeah, I like, I like the, um, it's copyrighted music, so I don't know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So How's everybody doing today?
1: I'm doing well, and we're welcoming back a friend of the show, Dr. Brian Sovereign, Sovzu as he's known. Brian, welcome back, man.
0: How's it going? It's
2: doing well, guys. Great to be back. Uh, it's been a while since we've done an Into the Void. but uh, It's our, our we first Void
0: have... in quite a while.
2: Yeah, but I know we always have cool stuff to talk about, so uh, I'm excited for it for sure.
1: Yeah, right on. It's good to have you back. It has been a while. You've been busy, you've been doing all kinds of stuff. That's that's part of it.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a big part. I mean, uh with uh my show Sovereign Tech, which of course is now rebranding to Sovereign Technica, we just uh celebrated our 500th episode.
1: I saw that. Good for you. A,
2: yeah, after over a decade of recording, um and so that has uh, certainly kept me busy uh, among other things, you know. I'm sure everybody kind of feels that these days. But uh yeah, it's uh it, it's been a, like I say yeah it, it has been a while since we've done an into the void but I always love these because we just let it out you know and we and we just whatever crazy things are going you know through our head we just make it happen and and, and say it and I love it <laughs> we can explain ourselves later I guess
1: yeah, fair enough oh we did have you on for the food panel though that's why it felt like I we'd had you on semi recently but that was just for the food panel that wasn't a into the void that's right
2: Good point. Well, everybody yeah.
1: should go check that out, too, to go back and listen to the food panel because uh, everybody was on point with that uh, conversation. So,
2: Yeah, I can, uh, I, and, you know, as somebody who's been podcasting for a very long time, and I'm not just saying this because myself and my wife is on the show or on that episode, but uh, that's probably one of the best podcasts I've ever heard. I'm not saying that I've recorded. I'm just saying that I've ever heard, like ever. So if people, if you haven't heard that one yet, if you haven't checked that out, get to it.
1: Yeah, that was a really good episode. I went back and listened to it actually, and I was like, "Wow, this is uh, this is something pretty amazing." Actually, yeah. Um, so, yeah. But thanks for coming on to that. That was uh, your input, input, and your <clears throat> and your wife's was uh, invaluable to that conversation. So that was good. Honored. Um. So the big payoff here. We're going to start.
2: Uh, are we going to? Start We're with starting Dan? out. No, I'm not
1: giving you any kind of. Sl- chance to slip away this time. <laughs> We're going right for the jugular. So if you ha- um just a brief um, to, uh, get everybody up to speed in case for some reason you haven't listened to an episode of Into the Void before, which I highly recommend you do. For since we started this and possibly even before we started calling it Into the Void, Brian Uh, keeps hinting at I believe his quote was uh reality or existence is tripartite and he keeps giving little hints about what he means and I think he's been if if I didn't know better I I would say that he's been building up to an answer throughout all of these episodes and laying foundational work and if I know Brian I would say that's probably the case but um I think he's been laying the foundations for what he wants his answer to be. And he thinks he's slick, but I caught it. So I'm calling him out right now. He asked, what by, what do you mean by, um, did you say reality or existence is tripartite? And I'll, uh, I'll let you build up to it.
2: Yeah, sure. So <laughs> I don't know if I've laid enough foundation yet, but like I just said earlier, you know, on this show, we just kind of say it. You know, and 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 maybe we'll try and and hammer things out a little bit, and you know, and, and figure things out. But, um, you know, when you're when you're talking about the very nature of existence, um, can you do that in an hour or even a two-hour podcast? Like, can you really explain all of that? Of course not. Like, that's not possible. You you can't even really do it in a book. Um, you know, you need an entire series of books, maybe every book in the universe that could possibly exist to even begin to explain, um, the universe. But I think you can get to the core of what comprises uh, existence as as we know it. And saying that it is tripartite is really just saying that it consists of three things, whatever those three things happen to be. Um, and as uh, we said, I think before before we went live here, you know, Zach was talking about, and this is something... This is maybe the most important foundational thing to lay out really, in my opinion, in any conversation you're having about anything. Uh, I mean, any subject you can imagine, you need to explain from the beginning. And I think it was the very first into the void that we did. We discussed the limitations of, well, particularly we were talking about the English language, but really the limitations of language itself. Uh, and you always have to lay that out because if people don't understand that there are things that language just cannot encapsulate and maybe never can encapsulate, um, then, you know, you're going to run into where, well, wait a minute, prove this, or wait a minute, what do you mean by that? Or, well, okay, but that's the definition of this. what's it, Like, I, I know that the classic uh, line from uh, from Socrates, or as uh, Bill S. Preston Esquire would say, Socrates, Um you know, where he says that, like, uh, what is it? Definitions is the beginning of wisdom, right. Or defining terms is the beginning of wisdom, something along those lines. Um, I think it goes much further than that. Like that, that, that's not the beginning of wisdom, like (laughs) paying attention to your feelings is the beginning of wisdom. Then, you know, maybe you can try and put those into terms and then you have to define those things. Uh, but that's just a failure of, you know, Greek thought regardless. Uh, so any terms that I really use when I am like breaking down the universe into or existence into three things, uh, any terms that I use, any three terms are going to be inefficient, uh, flawed. And well, I mean, it's bottom line, just, they're not going to be good enough. Now I will start off with saying part of the importance that I, that I say that it's tripartite in saying that it's specifically three is not because of the classic nonsense of that. Oh, everything comes in threes, right? Like, I mean, everybody hears that throughout their life Um, or it's easy to fit things into three somehow. Uh, That's actually not my purpose in saying three. And of course I am also, this is not what I am describing is not necessarily something, you know, it's not like a theory that I came up with. Um, I generally like to, pull from as ancient a source as possible and then i like to use you know modern uh research or you know the latest research or at least recent research that you know like walks the line with that ancient source that's how i like to come to something that could be described a truth or something that is applicable Um, because I think when we're talking about things so foundational to the human condition, like existence is as otherwise there are no humans, um, it should be something that we've always felt, you know, there are like that, that there is at least some, there's some clues, you know, even in what past we can possibly know of, you know, and I say what we know of, not to say that there isn't even a further past beyond that, uh, So that's important to me. That's why I like to look at ancient sources and then look at modern research. And, you know, if modern research says screw you to the ancient source, I mean, there's a couple of different options that can happen there, at least. One of them being that the ancients were wrong or the other being that, you know, well, modern science or research just hasn't caught up to that yet. Um, And I found myself lately, speaking of the importance of terms, and I'm gonna get back to the tripartite thing in a second. I found myself recently using the term research a lot more than saying science, because science is a term that comes with a ton of baggage. Uh, and it also, I think has, at least in the 20th and 21st century, even though this is not the, you know, if you talked about science in the 17th century and even going before then, it would have no problem with the occult and mysticism and all of this as to where today it seems to do so. Research, I think, can more broadly encapsulate a lot of a lot of things beyond science. Um, and you can, you know, the nice thing about a term like research is you can put, you know, terms in front of it. You can put prefixes on it. It can be medical research, scientific research, whatever. It could even be occult research. But research, I think, gives you a broader scale. So I like to use the term modern research instead of saying modern science. Now back to the importance of using different terms. So the reason I I go with three and that I say tripartite, partly that is because it's what's described in ancient sources that I pull from. But also, uh, I really want to, th- they're a, a popular aspect of a lot of the popular, use that term again, popular religions, uh, as well as concepts like, and, and I would say these are bullshit concepts like morality, uh, you know, and, and other varying things. It all comes down to usually some description of dualism or bicameral, like, the idea um, th- there's this show and, you know, if someone wants to like chime out and, and chew me out for, for saying this, that's fine. I don't care. But like there's this there's this really, really bad show called uh, was it Westworld on HBO that, you know, I mean, it, it it's a flaming pile, but whatever it is. It, it's been espousing for a while. This. Uh, concept called the bicameral mind. Now, I don't want to go into defining what the hell all that is and everything. But the point is, is that saying that existence is tripartite, the reason that I stick to that has nothing to do with it, you know, just being three, it has to do with saying that it is not dualism, nor is it bicameral, you know, it, it, it's getting away from that only two options, because in life, there there's never only, you know, like two options, there's never only two ways, there's never a bad and a good, there's no such thing as bad and good. Uh, so getting away from the concept of two, you know, like, and you would look at a lot of Eastern religions where they would, you know, a lot of them would break things down into a dualism, you know, that there is like a yin and yang. There is a, um, you know, again, like there's an evil and a righteous, you know, and getting away from those concepts. So saying that existence itself is based upon three gets you out of all of that baggage gets you away from all of those conversations and moves you beyond what I would argue are, you know, even though, like I said, I do like to pull from ancient sources, these are concepts that are incredibly antiquated. Uh, And we have to get out of the, I think, to get to any kind of truth, as we're able to today, in ways that we haven't been able to, at least in the past five, 6,000 years. Uh, We really We want to get away from again from that dualism. Uh I I think that that's you know, get away from the either or. Uh it's not either or, you know, it's 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 and it's not even all or nothing. We could get into a big conversation around the concept of like nothingness, which is a massive conversation. But regardless, getting away from the, you know, again, from just from two. We've that number, I'm not saying that number has to go away. That number is not a problem, it's just a number. But getting our minds thinking outside of that is really, really key. You know, even thinking outside of male, female, thinking outside of all of these things is really important to, in my opinion, getting to the heart of existence. So before I describe tripartite, do you guys have anything you like, like any critiques or anything you want to say to to what I just laid out?
1: Uh, two things.
2: Yeah. Um, (laughs) Of all all things, two things, of course.
1: I have two Two things. things. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, as you are talking about the limitations of language and language being insufficient at describing, let's say, certain aspects of uh, existence or the human experience or any of these things, it makes me think that uh, there's potentially something missing or that we are unaware of. So if...
3: <laughs> hmm.
1: Language. It would seem that if there's more to existence than we can describe with language, then there must be something else that we can use to communicate these ideas. I have had experiences myself that I could not hope to put into words at all. Mm. So there must be something. I, there doesn't. I don't think there's no, this leads me to believe or uh, think about that there might be something missing beyond language that uh, maybe existed at one point and we lost or um, it seems like we it seems like we are as humans are missing something and I I don't know what that thing is you mm-hmm. might say it's some sort of you know maybe it was reading minds or I don't I don't know but um, um, or maybe you mentioned emotions maybe we're once at one time more attuned to our emotions and the emotions of others. Now uh, I would disagree with you on the, the towel. Uh, I don't necessarily think it is solely limited to a dualism. Many people interpret the Tao that way, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um,
2: sure. I'd run with that. that That's fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the, um, we, after the, we as humans, after the Greeks in the Western world, tend to uh, think of things in that binary, in the the, the, the mind body duality, or um, either or, the Manichaean sort of good versus evil. Um, you know, uh, Nietzsche talks about this in the genealogy of morals. We tend to think of things as either God or the devil, or it's this or that, right. and I think that is us as sort of modern humans transposing our current form of thinking about these things onto ancient humans who may or may not have really thought of things in such simple, simplistic terms. Does that make sense? Like yes, um, yes. that, the Greeks changed the way the almost the human brain thought about things. Um, in 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 their philosophies and approaching uh and presenting dualism in such a way to where now most of the way that we think in the western world is based on that and so we when we go back and look at history prehistory um ancient research as you put uh, uh ancient literature we tend to put those things in this box that the Greeks have created in our own minds if that makes sense. So I agree it's important to break free of this dualism. Um and, it, and it, a lot of this comes from uh, comes from the Greeks, but there's certainly other thinkers as well, but um, we tend to uh limit I think uh ancient okay. thinkers because we already think of things in this way so then we uh we sort of have to fit all of these things like into a box. So it's like um, humans. I don't think thought for a long time ago did not think of things as t- t- totally good or totally evil. It was sort of circumstantial. A lot of, a lot of their quote unquote gods were both in a lot right. of ways. Um, or neither, or, or a bit of, you know, it was complicated and humans are complicated. And I don't think any third that I I don't think good and evil really was at least not on the forefront of their minds. They were sort of good and there might've been preferable and non-preferable behaviors and, and individual acts, but, uh, the idea of there being, um, evil people or evil entities or, or good people or good entity, it just didn't exist for Correct. most of human history until very, until relatively restri- uh, recent in human history. Um, so I don't know, remember where I was going with that now, but th- I agree, I guess I'm saying, I agree with your assessment that we need to move beyond dualism or Manichaean thinking.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's part of my appeal to more ancient sources is that they do. Cause I agree with your assessment, what you just said, Sek, Um because it, it, exists outside of that, uh, uh, you know, that categorization, which is a powerful tool that really the Greeks seem to bring on, um, you know, and where they, they were like dividing in us versus them. Um, so that, that's part of the reason I like to reach further back and the Greeks actually, so here, here's the, here's the, uh, uh, paradoxical thing, but usually ironically, you know, people always have a hard time with paradoxes, but I don't think, uh, historically, and when I say historically, I mean like ancient, you know, historically, like our ancient, ancient ancestors, I don't think had any problem with paradoxes at all. They just treated them as existence. Uh, but when I say that the universe is tripartite, like at the same time, those three things all come together as one. They're really not separate things. They are things that have a dash, you know, in between each of them. It's really the Greeks that separated you know, like, like these, these elements, shall we say of existence. Um, and I do think that while I'm a firm believer in the concept of emergent properties, meaning that the more things come together, the more elements you add in and, you know, it can become something, uh, greater or at least different and more than the sum of its parts. Uh, at the same time, I do think that existence continually, like it, it, it it's sort of scale, like everything's a mirror of the other, and I'll get into more of what that means. But, Zach, do you you have something you want to chime in?
3: Hey, y'all, it's Resonance, Um, yeah, from the Let's Make Some Shit podcast, Uh, here telling you guys about some of the new stuff I've got at Appalachian Apothecary. Right now I have a remineralizing tooth powder that's made with calcium carbonate and bentonite clay, Um, I have a four ounce jars that I'm selling for 10 bucks a piece. And then, uh, also I've done a couple of body butters, um, they're whipped tallow body butters. One's infused with Arnica and the other one is a very potent pain reliever. And if you'd like more info on that, you can find me at radical underscore resonance on telegram or at mother of chaos XAOS on Twitter. Um, I'd be happy to make tinctures for you regarding like any medical condition that you have. So please reach out to me and let's see if we can get you some herbal remedies.
1: No, I'm just also pro transmutation, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, All right. Uh,
2: Yeah. (laughs) So, so the three things and, you know, I've actually, I'm kind of glad that we didn't get to this question until now because I've really wrestled with the terms. And again, all of them are going to be flawed in varying ways. But the three terms that I've decided to run with are space, time, and thought. And so when the universe is tripartite, those are the three things. Now, those three things, again, really should just have dashes and they're not actually separated. Uh, And these three things make up, I would argue, the entire universe. And I would argue that modern research is also pointing very much at this. Uh, now, it has its uh, it has its corollary in the human body, in that the human body is made up of mind, body, spirit. Now, the Greeks are the ones that split up the brain and the body. Uh, now, there's an advantage to this that occurred where, you know, we were allowed to make tremendous, uh, you know, advancements in medicine. Um, as well as in, you know, some aspects of philosophy, or at least we started a crucible in philosophy when we started separating, you know, the mind from the body. But ultimately these things are not separated and the spirit is also not a, I would argue, a separate thing. So you have mind, body, spirit, dashes in between all that. And then you have space, time, thought. And these things are, you know, mirrors of each other. You know, they're different scales of each other, but it's the same exact thing. Um, in this case, more of the, you know, the, the corollary for each, uh, body would obviously, you know, be correlative to space, uh, mind, interestingly would be correlative to time and, or experience like time is, time is kind of an illusion, but it's ultimately, you know, experience within a space. And then, you know, the last part would be thought. And then for the human, it would actually be spirit. So as much as people would think that thought would actually be mind, I would say no. Uh, I, I think that that's that, that's very different. Um, now, the start of all of this, like when I say that, okay, so this is, you know, I mean, space, time, and thought, I think people Get more or less what that is—mind, body, spirit. I don't think people really need a lot of definition on that. I do, mean, you know, when I say mind, body, spirit, I do mean like, uh, you know, your your thinking process, like your the, the thinking, the conscious thinking process, not the unconscious. That's a separate conversation. So the thinking process, uh, you know, that that you can experience. Okay, like you know, and the reason I'm I'm being kind of vague on that is that I actually I don't think that a lot of thinking actually happens in the brain. Uh, this is something where I think the Egyptians were right. More of it is, I mean, thinking occurs through neurons, but I think it's happening far more through the neurons of our heart than it is through the neurons of our brain. But that's, that is is a whole other subject, you know, to really talk about. And I'm not like just pulling this stuff out of my ass either. Uh, <laughs> there, there is, There is research, you know, to back up just about anything that I'm saying. You can disagree with it, of course, but it's out there um so body of course we mean the physical body you know that all of these organs was you know these these flesh sacks that all of these organs exist within uh so you know again i think that's self-explanatory if we are defining terms and spirit is that's a little harder you know to describe and really talk about but it is that you know which which animates one's existence um And then, you know, again, breaking it, going, going to the larger scale of the universe, that being space, time, and thought uh, is just that space is, you know, the physical things around you. Time is again, that, that, that experience and action that occurs, you know, within that space. Uh, Of course, the idea of like space and time being one thing, like that's not even controversial anymore. You know, it's the thought part, the last part of that, that is now uh, I think is still controversial, but has been getting studied for, frankly, decades. Uh, and this goes well beyond quantum physics, but quantum physics is certainly, you know, a major part of it. The works of Fred Allen Hoyle, um, you know, and, and we we could, uh, Charles Musée, I mean, they're, they're like, there's 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 plenty of, of you know, names that, that we could list off who are talking about that. Thought itself is an integral part of the universe. And now we get to the point, uh, and I mean, I've been very pleased, frankly, in the past couple of years uh and certainly we could use good news during that time frame uh i've been very pleased that modern research has uh is beginning to really accept the idea that the universe itself is a thinking being uh like that the universe as it exists in its entirety with all the matter everything that that makes it up is itself a like it's it's an entity and it has what equates to a brain um I think popular, popular mechanics, plenty of your, you know, your major pop sci, you know, outlets, uh, were writing up about this, uh, which, you know, again, pleased me to no end for, for that to, to essentially finally come out. And of course, you know, when you have the universe as a gigantic brain, what is that thing doing? It is thinking. So that is, that part is the thought, uh, and this get, this plays very much into the poetic language of like Carl Sagan you know who would say we are all made of star stuff um you know we're all like a, we're we're or we are a way of the universe exploring itself um and i could get into things that i've talked about on my own show uh sovereign technica where you know like the concept of that that humans may be the immune system of the of the universe i mean th- these are really really powerful ideas that certainly deserve more exploration before we want to say hey that's a fact of course what is what even is a fact um but this is, so that that's my that's my starter on explaining what I mean when I say that the universe is tripartite space, time, and thought, and that is reflected within the human body, and really could even reflect further down than that, the more we explore about gut bacteria and whatever else, um, you know, in mind, body, spirit, and so on. Questions or thoughts on any of this, guys? And you so can tell me I'm crazy. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, this is not, cra- I mean, I probably should have taken a few mushrooms before we started this, but. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um no i i like this uh this to me reminds me of a very old um trope uh as above so below um
2: exactly yes it's yes.
1: it's well it's three you know it's threes all the way down and the the macro is the same as the micro which is the same as the yes the, the universe same as us which is the same as the micro
2: exactly uh,
1: so I would only okay. So my only, I think I need to think about the thought more. So I was going to ask you to parse out the thought aspect of existence, but I guess you sort of answered it in the sense that the existence itself is a thinking being is what you're going for. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's ahead. where. So so, so that uh, let me just try to repeat back to you what I think you're saying. So if thought is an aspect of existence itself, that would imply existence or the universe, and we can talk about if the universe is all of existence, but um, is itself an organism that is thinking? And, okay, I guess my, is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, I think that's fair. I guess my next question would have to be, Hey, y'all, I got something cool to tell you about. So you know how uh, I'm doing a big initiative to try to get more people to Gorilla Garden? Well, uh, Daggerist over at agoristacres.com, he's kind of teaming up with me a little bit here to help support this uh, cause. So if you use the code AGORA10 uh, over at agoristacres.com, you'll get 10% off. Um, for any reason, um, you're buying seeds, whether that be gorilla gardening or your own garden, anything like that. But if you contact Daggerist uh, or myself and you tell them that I sent you to get seeds for gorilla gardening, he might be able to swing an additional hookup. Um, it might be just whatever he's got, you know, an, a surplus of, or that kind of thing, whatever he can do. Um, so he's, he's down for the cause here and really wants to help uh see this come to fruition um so i'm i am sekmagora at sekmagora on all the the uh, social media you can contact Daggeris directly on his website uh, agoristacres.com again and uh the code is agora10 to just gets 10 uh 10 off straight up and um tell him i sent you for for gorilla gardening and you'll uh He'll, he'll try to hook you up however he can and um would, this is what we got to do we got to support people that support us that want to see more of this in the world um so again it's agrostakers.com. check it out um and get out there and, and and cause a cause a ruckus and get some gorilla gardening done all right y'all peace What role does thought play on on the movement of the universe? Are we saying that the universe itself has like free will? Uh, yeah. or uh, uh, yeah that's my question. what what role I guess does thought play into existence and what how do we interact with that?
2: Yeah, sure. So, uh so there's two two points I want to bring up with this. And I'm glad you asked this question, very insightful question because it gets at part of the evidence for this thought. Um one of my one of my peeves um in science today are the concepts of dark matter and dark energy. Uh and these are only the these are band-aids in science and there are plenty uh of the scientific people in the scientific establishment that readily recognize that dark energy and dark matter, no, like that, you know, those don't exist. Even though, I mean, it's used everywhere. It's talked about everywhere. And there's plenty of millions, if not billions of dollars spent on trying to prove its existence. Um, But no, this is very much a theory. This isn't even remotely close uh, to being proven. Um, You know, it's in the same I mean, I I guess I could say it'd be in the same ballpark or or, uh, situation, I should say, same situation that like black holes and wormholes were in the seventies, you know, now eventually those did get proven to exist. Um, But I think with dark matter and dark energy, that's not going to end up happening. And what is actually occurring is that thought process because the universe is expanding. See, this is the problem. This is why scientists want to, or why they came up with, and again, they just, they, they pulled it out of thin air. Uh, no pun there, but they they absolutely pulled this out of thin air to say, okay, wait a minute. So the universe should actually be contracting. Why isn't it? It must be because, and and what is making up, you know, ninety six percent of the universe that we're not seeing, it must be this dark matter and dark energy, and that's what's pushing things out because gravity, which is a thing, gravity should be bringing everything closer together, and you know there 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 are plenty, that, I mean, and there are there are other you know scientific issues that based upon that that really dark matter and dark energy are trying to solve. They even try to apply this to, uh, or scientists today will try to apply that this band aid of these things to the uniform temperature of the universe, which should not be right. Because if you have a big bang, things should be uh, colder the further out you go in the universe. But we know that that's not true. So why is that now? I mean, again, that that's, that's one of the very hard problems in physics. Uh, and it's been a hard problem for, you know, a hundred years or more.
1: Um Let me jump so, in real quick. Yeah, please. Um, You're missing a, a crucial point or maybe you said it and I didn't hear it. Uh Sure. What Brian is saying is that um, mathematically speaking, the universe does not add up. Yeah. So the the amount of mass, uh, if, you, if you factor in the theory of the Big Bang, the amount of mass that exists, the math doesn't – I'm not a scientist, but the math doesn't add up. So they have to fill in those holes in the math with things like dark matter, dark energy. Correct. Uh, before that, it was ether. Um, you know, it's, it's been a number of things that they're just kind of patching a hole because their equations don't match their theories. So there has to be something more than just the stars and the stuff and the dust and the asteroids. There has to be there more stuff than there is. Um, like Brian said, most of the space it, it seems to just be empty. So that doesn't make sense if, you've, um, if you buy into the theory of the Big Bang, which... Again, with the, the temperature thing, also punches a huge hole in the Big Bang theory as well, and there's a, a lot of problems with that. But I, I just wanted to uh, uh, sort of put add that to what you're saying because it's mathematically true what you're saying.
2: Correct. So, yep. Yeah. No. Well done, Sec. I appreciate you like like laying that out. That was that was perfect, and and I agree with exactly what you said. You you got what I'm putting down here. Um, now these ideas come from a place and we're going to get to what is thought doing. I'm, I'm going to get to that. Okay. So these like concepts of dark matter and dark energy, now they're bad concepts, mainly because they are band-aids for what is already a bad theory. Uh, you know, what is, what is already or bad, let's say flawed. Okay. Cause bad's a value judgment. Flawed is, means there's things missing. Like you were just saying, the math doesn't add up. Um. So with, with that in mind, that that is, you know, that that's flawed. The reason I'm saying that it's flawed is because it doesn't match like the actions, like we said, with the uniform temperature of the universe, it doesn't match what we observe about the universe. So today what we observe about the universe and, you know, I recommend anybody go ahead and hop on a search engine fast, you know, is the universe alive and you're gonna be met with articles from, even if you're you know, more of a, into more mainstream science, you're gonna run into so many articles that say, yeah, it has all of these attributes, which very much uh, matches with something that is alive, that is an entity, that is a being, okay? So again, these are theories that I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up you know, out, out of my own head here. Um, and so what we do know, the, like when we look at the latest research, what we do see is that the universe acts in a way, not in a way attributable to the big bang, but in a way where it acts like a being. So now if you wanted to come up with band-aids, or if you wanted to come up with hypotheses within that of, okay, what is, what is causing it to constantly expand? In fact, its own expansion is part of the evidence for the idea that the universe itself is a being, right? Because it's growing just like we do, just like any, any life form we know, uh, generally does. It grows in some way. Um, so, d- did you have something set?
1: <clears throat> yeah, apparently there was a whole um, Morgan Freeman did a what's it called uh, through the wormhole. He did a whole thing about the yeah. cosmos. and there apparently they did a whole episode on what you're describing. And let me just read a quote here that um, this is Greg- Gregory Matloff. Uh, the veteran physicist at the New York city college of technology recently published a paper arguing that humans may be like the rest of the universe in substance and in spirit, a proto consciousness field could extend through all of space. He argues stars may be thinking entities that deliberately control their paths. Put more bluntly bluntly, the entire cosmos may be self-aware bingo, bingo.
2: And I love that term proto consciousness field that right on, um, Because that, that idea of a consciousness field, that's really like that. That's really key because again, what is causing this thing to constantly expand? What is causing everything to, you know, go round? What's making the wheels go round and round in the universe? It is consciousness itself, which is that thought. Okay. So we could, we could, we could interchange the terms in this case between thought and consciousness. Um, I mean, I would argue, and, and again, This is something I think that's coming down the line where you're going to be able to measure. Scientists will be measuring consciousness as particles. And in many ways that could solve the the hard problem of consciousness. Uh, But we don't, we don't have to get in the weeds on that. But that thought process is what's actually making everything go round and round in the universe. The animated aspects of what is the universe uh, is that, I guess, in in the terms of Matloff would be the proto-consciousness field. Uh, which is akin to a gravity. I think gravity is still a thing that exists, but even, you know, gravity, there are a lot of opposing theories on that. We could talk about like, you know, quantum gravity and and other things, but again, another thing we don't have to get lost on. Um, So now what I'm essentially ultimately arguing here for is the idea, in fact, I love it that the software we're using here, uh, uh, StreamYard, its symbol is a duck. Because, which is a little synchronous because if it looks like a duck, you know, if it quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. Meaning the universe does all of these things that makes it seem like it's a being, it's an entity, a life form. It very likely very much is. And it was wonderful that you, you brought up about as above, so below. So now here's, here's kind of the the, the second part of how I wanted to respond to your earlier question. Um, we're another part that we're starting to really explore and, and a tremendous book that I can't recommend enough for people to read, uh, is by, uh, Bruce Lipton, which is called the biology of belief. Um, the latest version of that book came out in 2015. I want to say the original version might've come out five or six years earlier, or maybe 10 years, actually 10 years earlier than that. It would have came out in 2005.
1: He argues that we change our genes. through thought. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
2: yeah, exactly. Epigenetics through thought. That is, yeah. which epigenetics is like the the conscious process of changing your genes, or at least the uh, conscious might not be the best term, but like the active part throughout your life that your genes can change. You are not a slave to how you were born, which epigenetics just flat out proves that. Now, Bruce Lipton goes so far as to say that um, that your thought can actually change that. Okay, now, Bruce Lipton is also basing a lot of his work on other scientists, for example, and I can't think of the I think it, it's a woman who wrote a book, a tremendous book called The Song of the Cell, which also corroborates a lot of this that at the cell that the cellular level can be affected by thought itself. And so you're getting this parallel of what happens within the human body is exactly what's happening with the universe. You know, and, and the idea that it, it's just, it's, yeah, it's turtles all the way down, right? <laughs> I hate that term but, or that phrase, but, you know, it's, it's like it's threes all the way down. Like it's just constantly mirroring itself, you know, the, at scale, at, at every scale that you look at, um, because he would, I mean, like Bruce Lipton would argue that we're made of, you know, human beings are made up a, of a community of cells and that cells function in the same, shall we say, tripartite process you know, it's just the cellular version of mind, body, spirit, you know, just like we have mind, body, spirit, and then the universe itself operates on mind, body, spirit, of course, in that sense, though, it's space, time, thought. Um, so that, this is my whole, basically my whole point on, uh, on that the existence is tripartite. Now I will, I will add a little bit in that there is the Indian or more particularly Hindu concept of the Akashic record. Um, I mentioned earlier that I think eventually we're going to be proving that consciousness itself is some kind of a particle. It's some kind of an element, is something like that, that, that's out there, much like a you know, similar to a graviton or something along those lines. Um, I think that the human the, the human body is as much a to use an example of compute, you know, of, of computers. Now humans aren't computers, so I want to be abundantly clear on that, but just as an example, uh, I think that the human mind whatever makes that up i think it's more than just the brain i think it's also the heart but the human mind is a hard drive as well as a wi-fi antenna meaning that yes you can store your own experiences but that you do collect thought processes or thoughts or memories or whatever uh from the grander universe and i think this is where you really and part, part of, and this is, this is another part of why the idea that thought is something that is permeating the entire universe. I think that it's the only way to explain, um, research based around ESP, which despite what people may think, uh, ESP is a thing. Uh, it, it's, it's been covered and rec- I mean, there, there has been so much quiet research on that in the past 70 years. Um, But that research has been presented before, I mean, yes, these bodies are bullshit, but it's been presented before Congress. It's been presented before many regulatory and scientific bodies over the years. um, And the evidence stands that it is something that exists, like the ideas of remote viewing, uh, you know, and and other things. Now, the really, the only way that that works is that there is something in my, yeah, we could talk about quants and all that, but even that if you want to talk about like, you know, uh, quant spinning and y- you know, you're like, you're, uh, <laughs> whatever. I don't want to get into quantum physics. <laughs> I always hate talking about that. So but go ahead. Yeah.
1: It's actually remarkable how similar this is to some thoughts that I've had sure, uh, accumulated over the years. Um, it's not so much that, I sort of imagine these thoughts and can't put them into words. Although there is some of that, it's that it, it I, you ever, uh, I don't know if this happens to other people, but you start to pick up tidbits of information in lots of different places through over years and years. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to almost paint a picture in your head and you get sort of a, an idea about something based on very small tidbits of information that sort of start to add together. And so do you remember, Brian, I don't know how long, a year ago maybe, I woke up one Sunday morning with crazy thought in my head and I, I sent you a voice message rambling incoherently for about 10 minutes. Yep. And what I was saying is I I wasn't interested in the three uh, thing because although that interests me, uh, I sort of have a background in hermeticism, so the the three thing uh, interests me quite a bit, but my thing was I was saying something very similar to what you're saying now, or at least it dovetails if... Now, hear me out. So if you couple what you're saying that the universe is a conscious being, which I think it is, however you couple that with the the point you made earlier about the humans being an immune system for the universe. And then you couple this also with, there's been various theories within quantum physics that mathematically speaking, it seems like the universe is being holographically projected from a central point. So if you start to couple all of these things together, it would almost should I lost where I was going with this again. It would almost seem to me that yes, the universe is possibly a conscious being, but maybe we are actually part of this conscious being, and so that this conscious being exists in a in a um a sense a um, phase or um. A form of existence that we can't even like begin to comprehend and can change it's the frequency of its particles, the the way it manifests itself in time and space through through thought. And this might be a, the, also be the reason that <clears throat> when scientists, physics, physicists, and quantum physicists try to observe certain particles, their observation. Changes the course or the end result of the um, what do you call that?
2: Well, the, it's the observation principle. Yeah, like the
1: observation changed. principle. It yeah, changes
2: exactly. where where the end point where that uh,
1: mm-hmm. the the particle might have been. So, if we th- sort of scale that up, if we are affecting. Hey, y'all. Listen, I wanted to tell you about delicious jerky. Uh, Keto Delicious Jerky is jerky made by uh, BJ, friend of the show. I get uh, jerky from her once a month, and <laughs> whenever we get it, it's almost immediately gone. Um, it's really good jerky. The flavors are just on point. Um, the texture is really good. You know, it's it's nice and soft, but not too soft, and it's not you know chewy like boot leather. Um, so she's got that dialed in, perfect. Um, our kiddos really enjoy it. They will inhale an entire package of jerky in minutes. Uh, our kiddo particularly likes the uh, pizza flavored, which is which is really good. I enjoy it. I think my favorite is still the black pepper, but um, the pizza is pretty good. But she's got a lot of cool different flavors that you might not find everywhere else, um, like the pizza flavored I just mentioned. But she's got a a, a dill pickle flavored jerky which is uh, a bit different, but I really enjoyed the, the flavor on that. It's real. it's really good. If you like pickles. Um, so if, if you would like to check it out, uh, go to mailboxmeat.com. Uh, the shipping is free on orders, uh, $60 and up, and just tell them that the Agora, the podcast sent you and, uh, we'll get a kickback from that. Um, it's this I, I like supporting her because she's, you know, number one, a friend of the show. But number two, the the jer- jerky is really good. Like, I, I enjoy some beef jerky now and then. And hers is is really good, um, especially when it comes to the texture. The texture is just on point. And um, the flavors are good. And um, also, I'm doing, <clears throat> you know, low-sugar, low-carb diet. So um, all of her jerky is uh, low-sugar. And uh, she uses clean, uh, locally sourced meat for the jerky. Um, so, again, check check out MailboxMeat.com. That's her site. And um, make sure you tell them that Agora the Podcast sent you. And um, I hope you enjoy because I, I really do. I would I would do this even if she wasn't an advertiser because I really enjoy the jerky. So, um, check it out. And, uh, again, that's MailboxMeat.com. Thanks. Peace. If we are affecting matter with thought and also the universe itself is affecting matter with thought, is it possible that we're talking about the same thing? And also you go into as above, so below, we are the same as the universe, which is the same as, microbiology and it's the same thing all the way down. Is it possible we're talking about one giant entity where of which we are a certain manifestation of, and that was the point I made to you that Sunday. And I think it dovetails exactly with what you're saying. Um,
2: Thoughts. Sure. Um, Yeah. I, so yeah, I hear that. uh, And I do think like, the, Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so this is the part that, you know, needs a lot more research. Um, but I do think like the observe the observation principle is a very real thing. Um, and to some degree, I think that either we can be in a scenario where we are seeing through our eyes uh, what the universe wants us to see or through our, you know, clouded, um, you know, shall we say our our very clouded vision or, you know, as maybe the Christians would say through a mirror darkly, um, you know, we're, we're seeing, we're not seeing the reality. Uh, we're basically seeing what we, what we can through our own like clouded vision because we're not, uh, for lack of a better phrase, listening to the universe well enough, you know, like our heads aren't really clear. Um, I think it's helpful to, again, because we're saying that it's as above, so below, right? So, the, the human body or the human is a mirror or the human body is a mirror of the universe and vice versa, okay? So think of humans if you want. I'm not gonna say this is their definite role, but I'm gonna say think of humans as like the gut bacteria of the universe. Now, that gut bacteria can be filled and fed with things that make it healthy, like probiotics, or it can be fed with junk food. And the resulting, uh, the results of that are dramatically different. And it's so different that it actually affects uh, your entire thought processes. It affects your entire body, you know, mind and body. And then ultimately I'd argue spirit, but we don't even have to go there. Okay. Now this is not conjecture. This This is scientific fact. This is medical fact that that's how gut bacteria operates. I would go so far as to say that it is a similar relationship with the universe where... The, the health of the human is reflective and has a direct effect. And thus, I'm saying that your thoughts have a direct effect on the universe, um, that you are like the gut bacteria to the mind of the universe. Uh, and, and again, there, there is there is that connection. Um, how, what do you got, Sec?
1: <clears throat> well, what you're saying would imply that it is one singular organism.
2: Yes. Yep. I would say that. Yes.
1: Because, uh, um, so humans are, um, an aspect of a superorganism known with what we call the universe Bingo. and go, and honestly, okay. So here's the crazier part. <laughs> that is what we've been able to figure out. That is what we know so far that is not even implying that this is the limitation of all of existence either.
2: Right. Right.
1: Um, Go ahead. Sorry, that was it. Yeah, that no, was all.
2: Well, yeah. So I think the next question becomes for a lot of people, which is okay. So let's say you know the universe is a super organism. Again, humans themselves, the individual, is a super organism. You know, it, it, like I said, it just it's the same thing as it keeps scaling. So the question becomes then: this universe, the super organism that is the universe, if it's an organism, if it's a being, where does it live? Like, does it just live within itself? What's outside of it? Uh, and to that, I, I would know. also. Yeah, I will. Yep. Right. So I would turn to, in this case, um, I would turn to more modern research, which uh, has been accepted to the point that it's even been like a part of major uh, scientific documentary series, say, like more recent episodes of Cosmos and others. The idea that, and, and this has been probably the, the only idea that I've seen in any significant way challenge the Big Bang theory. And this theory of the quote unquote origin of the universe is that it exists within a fourth dimensional black hole. So we exist in a three dimensional universe. So what's beyond it would be a four, you know, a four dimensional existence. And that, so we're essentially like in the Corona, which is a very safe place to be on a black hole that we are in the, the universe exists in the Corona of a fourth dimensional black hole. That's the idea. Now, when you start playing at scales beyond the universe, like you have no idea what the hell's going on out there. So using a term like black hole or a concept of black hole, it's another case of, well, you know, okay, what would fit, you know, what, what would make sense here? Okay. A black hole is like, is a possibility. And that would allow for, <laughs> I mean, this like exterior thing would allow for what brings in like wherever, you know, gravity, like I said, is still one of those great mysteries. How the hell does that really operate? Um, and the idea that there is a fourth dimension, shall we say, not necessarily the same fourth dimension that you'd talk about in like super string theory. Um, but you know, this fourth dimension that things are like leaking into our three dimensional universe from that. Uh, I think that that solves a lot uh, of problems, but my whole point in saying all this is that yes, scientists are, if not accepting, very open to the idea that the universe itself exists within another universe, not a multiverse, but just another universe that's outside of it. Uh, So there would be, there's your playground for this being that is the universe.
1: You know, uh, the, the universe sitting inside a a fourth dimensional black hole, that sounds an awful lot like what some people might describe as a uterus.
2: Isn't that
1: that interesting? (laughs) Yeah. Interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so this is where, you know, as far as like pulling from ancient sources, uh, of course, something I've been, you know, espousing and talking quite a bit about uh, over the past year um, on my own show, uh, you know, I've been very open about my uh, platitudes or my, uh, my, uh, yeah, my acceptance of Kabbalah, you know, and and, in researching Kabbalah Uh, and in Kabbalah, I mean, that, that's exactly what they say is that, the universe exists between the legs, you know, of God or, or of the infinite. They would, they actually wouldn't say God. Kabbalah is very particular about what's a God and what's not. Um, but what they would call the Ein Sof. And so the idea is, would or the idea would be that existence is uh, this space between the legs of the Ein Sof, of the infinite. And that's what our universe is. And yeah, it, and you know, the idea of that being a uterus, like that, that makes absolutely like that's a perfect allegory to bring up sec. Um, but, you know, I wanted to lay out more, uh, Western and scientific terms, you know, before I even began to, 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 to bring in, uh, the texts themselves that were really leading at, um, these concepts, you know, thousands of years before, uh, popular mechanics was even bothering with it.
1: So a little side tangent, um, a sort of a thought experiment that I've brought up, and I might've heard this elsewhere is if you, if there was a being that was capable of eating the entire universe or um, existence itself, would you be able to observe it? The answer is probably not. Right. Because how would you, if it was capable of eating existence, that means it's bigger than existence Mm
2: -hmm. itself.
1: Mm-hmm. So if it's bigger than existence itself, chances are you you exist inside of existence, right? So the chances right. of you being able to observe this thing, it'd be like a plankton being able to observe and eat, uh, us eating the fish that it's inside of. Do you know what I mean? It's just, or yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I said that right. So it's just not it's not something that you'd be able to understand or comprehend as humans with all of our sophistication. So if if the universe, now that's just a thought experiment that the, but I'm the, where I'm going with that is is if the universe is a conscious being, that would almost imply to me that it's not the only conscious being. I would be surprised if it was the only one. Right. Right. So what are these other beings and what like what 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 are you know what are these and <laughs> like you said if these are beings where do they live what do they exist inside of I I mean are we talking this is, this is where your brain just goes cross-eyed because you just yes. can't comprehend like this scale and this amount of dimensions or whatever you want to call it and it could go on for nearly infinite scaling up and we are only aware of a couple scales ahead of us you know what i mean Um, yeah so go ahead
2: yeah so so this is where i mean part of like okay so brian why do you care about kabbalah and part of it is because its responses to a lot of questions like you just asked sec are so they have such humility meaning so they they ask the same thing like you know, okay. So, what what is the iron sofer? What what does the iron sofer exist within, and all this? And, and believe me, these questions do get asked in books that are two thousand years old or more. And when they ask that question, they essentially say, "You can't know. All you can say is what it's not. That's all that you can only apply negative attributes. Like you can only not negative isn't bad, but negative isn't like it's only what you what it isn't that you can say. And so that humility as to where even something like Uh, Hinduism, which a lot of scientists are actually very attracted to, but like something with Hinduism, Hinduism says, No, no, I have all the answers. I've got it all. We know, we know exactly this and that. It's where Kabbalah says, There is a point where you stop, where your mind expands so much, and you just stop and you say, Okay, no, I can't possibly know this, but I can say what it's not. And I think when you get to that scale, that's really all we as humans are capable of, is just knowing. Effectively, um, you know what what it's what it's not in in that case. So does, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, for sure. right Now I have a another quick question. Uh, so, oh, for anybody that doesn't know, Kabbalah is Jewish mysticism, or yeah. call it what you like. Yep. Um, if the Ein sits, no, I'm sorry, the universe sits between the legs of the Ein Sof. Yep. And the Ein Sof is not God question becomes where does God sit? Where does God fit into that? In at least in the interpretation of uh theorist of around Kabbalah.
2: Yeah so within Kabbalah um so the, the very first verse of 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 Torah the very first verse of the book of Genesis you know is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth right now in Kabbalah, they are actually, if you just look at the Hebrew, you don't even have to go to, to, to like the book of Zohar for the which is kind of the Kabbalist primary text. Okay. If you actually translate that directly, it the, the equation's reversed. It says, Uh in the beginning, the infinite created God. That's that's how you would directly translate the Hebrew of the very first verse of the Bible. And so the infinite is Ein Sof, and it's very interesting because it's effectively saying God is something else. I would go so far as to your, you know, I would argue that what that's saying is is that the Ein Sof is that fourth dimensional black hole, or it's that area outside of that, and that God is the universe. And so when I use a phrase like say Thou art God, and you're a part of, you know, the universe, right? That, that's part of the answer to that. Or, you know, like, wait a minute, what do you mean that I'm God? When you ask that question, that's part of the answer is that because the universe itself is God and you are part of it. Um, So does, does that, does that make sense as far as like what the, what the Kabbalists would say is like, what is the Ein Sof? What is that sitting in? I don't think, again, when you get to the Ein Sof, that conversation in the book of Sohar and to, you know, for Kabbalists in general, they would essentially say, like I said earlier, you can only say what it's not. You can't really say what it is. So I'm not going to pretend to do that, but you know, for ease and to get in line with modern research, I would say fourth dimensional black hole, fine.
3: Hmm. Hmm.
1: (laughs) Interesting. Okay. So, so wait a minute. Okay. So back to thought, let's go circle back to your, so if we can use whatever terms we want, I'm comfortable with Kabbalah or modern research, but sure. If the Ein self is this fourth dimensional black hole Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and the universe is created by this Ein self and the universe is a conscious being made up of mostly thought and space and time. Does that are we scaling that tripartite nature of the universe up to the Ein So, is does that mean that <laughs> the fourth dimensional black hole is also conscious? Does it mean that it is also made of space, time, and thought?
2: As as a kabbalist, all I can say is, uh, I don't know. You know what it's not. <laughs> right. But but uh, but uh, would I be surprised? No. No, I wouldn't be surprised at all that it just, it just keeps going, you know, constantly in that direction. But I think that's, I think that I love that asking those kinds of questions because that's how you can help define everything beneath it um, and understand what's beneath it. Uh, But I think that's one that like, we'll, we'll probably never really know the answer to.
1: Well, so, you know, one plus one plus one is three, three plus three plus three is nine. You go, keep going on in this pattern, right? Mm -hmm. If. We, uh, <laughs> this is great. We, uh, we exist like our gut bacteria, like life exists at, on a microscopic level. And then we also exist uh, the same as the stars and the cosmos and the universe. That would seem to imply that that would scale up again. Right. Yes. So. Yep. So if we're saying that the universe is a conscious being made of space, time and thought, that would seem and we are also made of some variation of space, time and thought. And so is microbiomes. Um, that would seem to also imply that the Ein Sof is made of space, time and thought. Yes. Or you, yes. Because that yes. pattern would follow. Unless that pattern stops there, which is possible but unlikely, right? So, um, what what else is the Ein Sof not? Maybe we'll start there. Oh boy, uh- <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to go into Kabbalah if you don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I've been no, enjoying the ride on your show. We can, you know, but um, yeah. it seems to fit here. I don't know why. So,
2: yeah. Um, well, I mean, again, just to be clear, like I think. Kabbalah is, just is science, not science is necessarily, I mean, it is science as we understand it today, but it is also science. I think Kabbalah, and I I know I've said this on like my Patreon Q&As and whatever, um, that Kabbalah will ultimately come to the conclusion, humanity will eventually come to the conclusion that Kabbalah is like, that science that exists, it's the high science. It's the the science that exists above Newtonian physics. It's the science that exists above quantum physics. It's the science, you know, it is the, like, it's the actual explanation, you know, of the universe. I think eventually we will get there. Um, So just to understand like what I think of Kabbalah, I actually, I don't, it is mysticism in that sense, but I actually really consider it to be science. And when you read it from its practitioners, they called it science. When you see the term science in Kabbalistic books, they're talking about Kabbalah itself when they say that. Um, so I, you know, I, I think we'll get there. Um, as far as what else the, the I Sof is not, um, I mean, so Kabbalah would say that, that it's not, and actually Maimonides would say this as well, that who was a very famous Jewish philosopher, um, and rabbi, you know, they would say that like the, the, the Ein Sof has no body, like it doesn't have a body. And that's, the idea that it doesn't have a body is sort of what why I'm not you know exactly going to or gonna say with certainty that this scales all the way up right like like we like you were talking about one plus one plus one plus you know three plus three plus three and so on uh because it seems to say very clearly that it doesn't have a body but then when it's saying it doesn't have a body does that just mean it doesn't have a human body okay but it has some kind of a body like it looks like a a fish, sure. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it could look like anything. Um, you know, I'm I'm open to that. Uh, so there is there's that aspect of it. Um, but I mean, as far as other things to say that it's not, you'd really just kind of look at any anything you could almost apply to it. You'd basically say it's not that. It's not that. It's not that. Um,
1: well, and, so go ahead. Le- let me get weird with you for a second. Yeah, uh, sure. I have potentially <laughs> interacted with entities that had no body, but had intelligence.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Yep. So it's maybe what they it could be, what they mean is no form, you know, like no yes. sure per- permanent form, you Bingo. know, it, sure. Um, there's lots of things that may have intelligence, but no body. So it doesn't necessarily follow to me that because we describe it as having no body that, to me, this still scale, might scale up. It just yeah, right. might be, exist in a different way than we think. Um,
2: yeah, it could ahead. be a being made of smoke. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, or, I'm told, yeah. I'm, I'm sh- open to that.
1: changing shapes or whatever, you know, the thing that some, just, it could just be pure thought. I don't know. So, yeah. yeah, it might not exist in a body the same way we think of things like that. You know, there's there might, not everything has to have a form. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, totally. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, penguin. Hey, you, you got anything? Yeah, what, I was so, just gonna say that too. <laughs> I was just say penguin. Hey, you got anything, man? I Yeah, go for
0: it. Yeah, no, no, I'm taking it all in. Sure, um, it's not really my area of expertise. I have put, put a lot of thought into it, but yeah. So,
1: what Sorry. does Muhammad say about this penguin?
0: Um, you know, this is i honestly outside of my um. My depth of knowledge. This is because it's kind of like mysticism, you know. And I, I haven't really, I haven't really dealt with a lot of mysticism or like this this uh sort of philosophy. So, um, so you haven't
2: explored know. like Sufism Definitely. at all, Penguin? I was just gonna ask that.
0: So no, yeah. no, no, no. I haven't. It's not really. Yeah, it's not really something I'm super interested in. Sure. Um, so I can't really tell you a whole lot about that. To be honest with you, I've, I've never really dealt with any sort of mysticism. As a matter of fact, right on. I like my religion straight up. Um, <laughs> I don't know, straight up whatever the opposite of mysticism is very straight up and pragmatic, you know, yeah. pray five times a day and I, I do it. And it's the end of that pretty much.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Keep it to cause and effect. Uh, <laughs> I hear that. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll just comment quick. I know a lot of, I mean, Kabbalism itself has gone through waves of popularity and it's really, it seems like it's getting on another high, uh, and I don't want to get lost on a conversation as to why that is. I mean, there certainly is one to be had, but um, there are, there is a lot of intermingling and uh, shall I say outreach, not is you know, not, not evangelist outreach, but just straight outreach between Kabbalist and Sufi thinkers in that there, there is, there's a lot of shared concepts. Uh, I think that you find in those, which I think is very interesting. Uh, more particularly, because I mean, you do have a, like a Christian Kabbalah, but they basically just lift everything from the Jews, you know. As to where Islam has, a, you know, a lot of I would argue more independent uh, thought, you know, to come out. Even though there's a lot of obviously a lot of shared stories and books, you know, within. Uh, oh yeah, with but a lot of, of that but is
0: a lot of the Islamic uh, this the so-called Islamic uh, philosophy um, takes a lot from the Greeks. There's a lot of um, yeah, there's a lot of going back to, to the Greece with that. So Yeah, or,
2: or even vice versa, maybe. Right.
0: No, 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 no. I mean, chronologically, the ancient Greeks, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, the, ancient, the ancient Greek philosophers, um, for sure. And then there's, you know, some of that is literally just a continuation mm-hmm. of, of that tradition, and that tradition then continued further outside of the Islamic world. So, as far as like true, truly solely Islamic... Um, teachings like I, I'm not too terribly familiar with that because there's obviously like um, people that uh, accept you know the, that tradition of like the continuation of the ancient Greek philosophy and the mm-hmm. Islamic tradition of people that kind of reject that as being outside um, so there's but those that, that treat it as being outside is Islamic from what I'm familiar with Islamic uh, schools of thought are very it's very it's very about it's very legalistic and lo- logical about applying actually mm-hmm. religious law, but in terms of actual mysticism or the nature of the universe and stuff like that, there is some, but it really wouldn't. Some of this, I, I honestly have only picked up on on Twitter, and it's it's very, very in the weeds for those that aren't aren't um, you know, read in that. But um, right. it's, it's not terribly mystical. It's it's just about the nature of God. People arguing about the nature of God and uh, what what you shouldn't should not say and so forth but I've never mm-hmm. I've never heard anything about anything that's really comparable to this I, I'm sure in, in Sufism, there's a there's a close analogs for sure
2: fair enough
1: well so the 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 Islamic world might have um, borrowed from the Greeks but that's literally every culture you know so like the Greeks yeah. were borrowing from the Egyptians and the, you know the the uh, the Christians are borrowing from the Jews but the Jews are borrowing from probably the Babylonians and the possibly the Sumerians as well. And there's one other one they might have been borrowing from as
0: well. So there's um they, these ideas.
1: Yeah,
0: there's definitely a back and forth between um the Jewish fish, uh, I guess Jewish mysticism and Islamic for sure. I know that hundred percent. Because they yeah. would have they yes. would have been exist in existence at the same time.
2: Yeah, and historically like
0: yeah, in the same place. past yes.
2: 2000 yeah and historically in the past 2000 years islam has really allowed judaism to flourish far more than any part of europe. uh so yeah the the idea that there's you know there, there's a some connective tissue there at times an idea of borrowing and swapping and everything i mean it just it doesn't surprise me at all because of the level of respect that really was held uh at least in many areas you know in comparison to how either you know, Islam or uh, or Jews were treated by Christians, which was the exact opposite. Um, so I wouldn't argue with, it. I wouldn't call it stealing between the two. As to where the Christians, I just think they 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 kind of stole <laughs> so much. But anyway, yeah, and and Sec to your point, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like, you can find so much of what's in in Torah, you know, that that would come from the Zoroastrians, right? Um, or that they borrowed from the Babylonians or that they borrowed from the Sumerians or even the Egyptians themselves, like completely, but, you know, there, there's a, there's a lot of, and, and I think it comes down to that there is that like, there is that one singular uh, spirituality. I don't want to say religion, but there is that one singular spirituality. Um, I myself would argue that that is what actually Kabbalah is and that it's something that even exists beyond Judaism. But, you know, that's a conversation perhaps for, for another time.
0: Yeah, um, there is an Islamic analog to that. There is basically considered to be a um, and it's kind of debated what exactly this means, um, but there is a general idea that there is a basic disposition that's in, innate in people, that's a basic spirituality exactly like that, and it's been interpreted a little, some some people have interpreted it a little closely that everybody is basically born as a Muslim, and I've I've, I've heard, again, this was just really just a tweet, but I've um, I mean, it's pretty clear from the tradition that it's that's that's going a little too far with the interpretation, but what it's, it's saying is there is an innate spirituality that kind of understands the concept of God and stuff. And I think that that's pretty shared concept like in cross culturally and cross religions for sure.
2: Sure. I mean, even Christianity would have that where the apostle Paul, like he abundantly says that all you have to do is read the book of nature, you know, to know of God. Um, and so, his, you know, his point
0: was—that's <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, because yeah. that that goes back to the Greeks, and that goes back to uh, one of the one of the early, really, really famous Islamic thinkers, and I can't remember which one because I'm not really well versed in medieval philosophers, Islamic or otherwise. But um, the the idea of like someone who is is, is born in complete uh, a human being that's born in complete isolation of from, from humanity and raised in the wild, can can he know God? Or like what does he know of God or what does he know of morality? And that is a very common like that's a very Thomas train of thought that I think different philosophers in like the medieval period had struggled with. And I think it goes back to Plato either Plato or Aristotle, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but that's definitely a concept. And that's where that tradition, which I'm that I know it comes back to a hadith the prophet muhammad is a of them that he actually um where, where we get this idea of this basic uh innate disposition towards god in general and of course it doesn't mean the actual like text of the actual religion as it's revealed if you've never heard of it but um you know the, the idea that there is a debate whether you can know god and morality and in, in what right and wrong from nature And then what, what actually religion, how, what religion uh, has an effect, how religion has an effect on that, or whether, you know, it's only through learning about the nature of God and the revelation scripture and so forth and so on, that you can actually know morality. So there, and that's a debate, that's like a philosophical debate that I think was had, and I'm, I'm certain, I know in the Islamic world, but I'm certain in the Christian and other traditions as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, Sec, what do you got?
1: I think it's interesting that we start we keep seeing like what you guys have been describing I just it got me on this thought path of like we keep seeing like echoes of the same thing over and over throughout human history and different religious traditions and um almost the s- same characters you know so we like the islamics uh, they borrowed from the greeks who borrowed from the egyptians well um you know you had um the god thoth which was very very similar to hermes trice and it goes um you have a lot of the same characters or archetypes like throughout history who are teaching very similar things you might even throw christ in there too who knows
2: mm-hmm.
1: um but this kind of goes back to where you were saying that there might be something that exists beyond uh, beyond Kab- Ka- uh, Kabbalah or beyond Islam or, or whatever. This, uh, so this reminds me of <clears throat> something I was watching not long ago, and they brought up the, the point that they're actually finding out that the god Pan has existed in many forms mm. in different cultures all throughout history, going back like 20,000 years. Now, some of the myths around Pan is, yeah, he's this this mischievous god and he's got horns and stuff, but he takes different forms. He doesn't actually have a form. And some have made the argument that he's actually, like, just he's the earth itself. And that's the form that our brain makes when trying to <laughs> Give him a form that we can comprehend, right? So, but he's existed throughout time. Like there's cave paintings in ancient France, twenty thousand years ago, of hor- like a horned god in green with playing a flute. Mm-hmm. So, you, um, if you kind of go throughout history, there was, I believe, in um, there's an, an Islamic teacher that dressed in green as well, um, who. Was known to be rather mischievous. Um, I can't remember his name now, but he dressed in green for some green. reason.
0: Huh? That was his, his name was basically green. The mm, green, maybe this would have been medieval times. Anyway, no, 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 no. This is uh, unless you're talking about something different. This is actually. Yeah, I think I'm talking um, about something uh, different. This is actually Surah al cuff. This is like the the Surah of uh, the Cave, where there was a story about um. The adolescent, I believe, the adolescent Moses, that um, encountered this guy It's called Green, the Green one, I guess. Oh. That um, yeah, that um, he. Ah, I don't want to get the story wrong, and I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before. But he um, did things. He he did. He came out of the situations and 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 dealt with them in these mysterious ways They were inexplicable. But then at the end, he did these like. You know, sometimes horrible and inexplicable actions, and then he explained that in all three scenarios, that he had knowledge that that, that was unseen. That actually, that the consequence of him doing those those three things, for example, like he uh, caused he he was hired, to, I think, repair a wall, and then he caused the wall to collapse. But when he did that, it revealed the uh, like a, like a treasure that was the inheritance of these orphan kids or something and it's it, but he revealed he only revealed that fact after moses finally confronted him after the three increasingly like terrible things that he did to explain himself and i don't remember what the exactly the, the point of the parable was um because i haven't really studied that so well but um that's basically that's exactly what you're referring to i believe the, the, the yeah word. he might be right
1: you might be right yeah but, but it was, was he, supposed
0: to be in in the time in the, like adolescence of uh, M- Moses like in between when he was you know born and uh you know when he came back to, to free the uh, the Israelites
1: um yeah but this okay so this character has uh, you I think you are talking about who I'm talking about but the the, the anyway this this character pan has existed throughout h- human history it almost seems like uh,
0: yeah, very mysterious character, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard about him in any other context. And he's called green, he's called the green, green one and the green guy. So oh, yeah. Very mysterious. Yeah.
1: Um so I forgot where I was going with this, but um it may be that we're dealing with something beyond our understanding. Like I don't, you know, I'm not saying that it's gods but it might be that when our brain interacts with uh let's say the universe as an actual being Mm -hmm. it manifests itself in various forms and one of these older forms might be the god pan or whatever the thing, these, these, uh, religions that have existed for as old as human, uh, human uh, knowledge of humanity. Right. So it's possible that these things are, uh, sort of manifestations of that. And they seem to be repeating very similar ideas over and over again throughout human history, which would imply knowledge that exists outside of sort of, um, human consciousness or something like like an akashic record at least Mm -hmm. um what what do you think about that
2: yeah you know i gotta when i'm hearing all this i'm also thinking of like uh the green man uh from like arthurian legends yes Uh, you know very very similar you know helping gawain with various trials and all this um yeah
1: that's said to be pan as well
2: yeah, that's yeah. To be told as well. yeah, yeah. That's that is something I'm going to be reading up hard on. I appreciate that, Sack. <laughs> that that that's a fascinating theory. Um, I mean, the idea that there is like a really ancient body of knowledge worming its way through varying uh, mythologies and religions and spiritualities, I think, is a very real thing. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to give people a little bit of homework on as far as books, if they want to check out, like to see like, "All right, how is this actually possible? There's a tremendous book called the Hiram key revisited by uh, Christopher Knight and Alan Butler. Um, don't read everything by them. I mean, you can, if you want, but the Hiram key revisited makes a fascinating uh, case of this very idea that there is this, I mean, and it it, it worms its way through every religion you could think of, um, of like this really seemingly ancient body of knowledge you know going back before recorded time um and then so there's that so people can check that out if they want an idea of like wait how could this you know necessarily happen now i mean sex idea that it's something that is actually like a manifestation from the shall we say the universal mind uh that's a fascinating one to explore as well um but as far as i mean the other the other book i want to make sure that i get out there that people check out as far as this idea of okay well what is what could be beyond the universe like second i were discussing earlier as well um there's a tremendous science fiction novel i mean the, the Hiram key revisited book is not fiction but this is a science fiction novel called starmaker by olaf stapleton um and it really gets into that very that very question of what is beyond uh and it i mean where this book deals with like you know sentient planets and star systems and all. It, it's it's just a wild read probably the greatest maybe the greatest book of all time as far as fiction goes uh and maybe or at the very least i would argue it's the greatest science fiction novel of all time um it, and because it plays at scales that i don't think any other science fiction ever has um so if you're looking for some great mind expanding stuff there, there there are a couple of books uh that that you could check out you know from uh from the get-go
1: could you repeat that? The name of that book again? I missed uh, the title.
2: The sci-fi novel. Mm, that,
1: yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah, that's Star Maker.
1: Oh yeah, okay, I'm yeah, but, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. I Olaf
2: Stablin. Um He yeah. has other books. All of I think his entire uh, uh, canon is worth reading. But um, but Star Maker is the one you definitely want to you want to get in.
1: I, I apologize. I was reading on the green one for a second there. I, that that was my. Bad. I wasn't paying as much close. No, attention. no worries.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, no, that's, t- uh, Peg and You were spot on, and that's the that's the dude I was talking about, and that character reoccurs over and over throughout history.
0: Interestingly, that enough. I did not know. Yeah. Uh huh. Cool. Um. um yeah, and, and it was watch. funny. there's no like, there's no like analogous guy. There's no blue or red, or it, there's nothing even comparable. So it's such a mysterious story. There's actually a, few, a couple. In that surah as a matter of fact, because there's a, there's another one that is about um, a conqueror that went from the, the far east to the far west, and people, some people say it was Alexander the Great, some people said it was Cyrus, and some people have said whatever. Then it's a, it's a mystery we don't know. Um, but that, that's a really interesting one too, if you if you're interested in ancient history, um, the story of uh, Dulkarname, and that that involves also like building a wall of iron to hold back Gog and Magog as you know, as also featured um, in the uh, book of revelation. And um, Yeah. yeah there's some, you there's know, some pretty far out stuff in that one, actually.
2: It's, it's pretty interesting, like, because the idea of at least within the examples I know of, of what we'll call the green man. Um, it's like a, a woodsy character, you know, like a, <laughs> like a, not, not a wood nymph. I wouldn't say that, but I mean, like it's usually a very, like it's a character that describes some degree of uh, a primal like a nature spirit. Yeah. yeah. Like a nature spirit. Um, yep. And, and, you know, I, I can't help, but that, that does make me think of, you know, a few characters. Uh, it makes me think of Enkidu in, uh, in Sumerian literature, which Enkidu was not human. You know, people forget that. But, um, Gilgamesh was, but, but, you know, but his best friend Enkidu was not, he, he was this, this feral thing. Um, and it also makes me think of how Elijah was described. Um, he wasn't green, but, uh, you know, that it's going to make me go back to the Hebrew on that because now I'm wondering, <laughs> because I'm like, wait, is there anything in here that's describing Elijah as green, you know, because he's this immortal or he's a character that even within, if you followed the timeline, you know, if you followed it chronologically, uh, Elijah seems to have lived for 400 years just in the Old Testament alone. You know, that's not even a question of did he actually die or did he go up in a fiery chariot or how'd that go? Um, but like the same character is described over a 400 year period, which is very weird. Uh, and I'll even, you know, I'll throw a bone to the Christians. John the Baptist, you know, was that, that the the wild man, you know, in the wilderness. Yep. Um, which actually, when you read the Hiram Key Revisited, which I mentioned earlier, very interesting theory around who was actually the Messiah was it Jesus or was it John the Baptist, uh, that makes the book worth reading alone. But anyway, just, just adding. Well, I mean, those, just those think ends. about,
1: just think about that trope of the wild man in the, in the wilderness with knowledge. Right. Think about existing outside of civilization. Is, yes. How many times does that reoccur throughout cultures and literature and whatever all throughout history? Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, some people would make the argument that that is the, that the earth is a living being. And that is what the, uh, when the earth wants to communicate with us, that's the form that we see. Um, yeah. I've made the argument uh, a few times, and I'm probably not the only one to do this, but uh, no, I'm definitely not Um that we are the, actually the ones making these forms with our brains. So like, um, you know, the, the concept of like the brain will fill in patterns, right? If we don't understand what we're seeing, our brain will fill in the pattern or we see faces in clouds and we see faces in various things because our brain just, well, if we don't, if what we're seeing does not make sense to us, we will make it make sense. Our brain will make it make sense.
2: Yeah, we so, are pattern-seeking animals. Absolutely.
1: Yes. Yes. So, well, so okay. So we, so, we come across a being. That our brain cannot comprehend or communicate with what do you think our brain is going to do Uh, so it may be possible that our brain our brains just make this this might happen to lots of different entities Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: speaking specifically to pan uh our brain just might make this form because it's the closest thing our brain can comprehend and it fits Right, so then we project this image, and it takes it sort of takes that form. It's sort of like uh, two things glad handing together. Our our brain making this pattern and this entity, and we end up with some a very similar character throughout human history who has taken somewhat similar forms. Whether it's the wild man or the goat god or the green man, or uh, it seems to be reoccurring. Now you could take that the same idea and apply it to a lot of other things such as extraterrestrials or ultra terrestrials or throughout history. Some people might've called called them fairies. And then all of a sudden we call them other things. And now we call them aliens. So that might be, might be talking about very similar entities throughout human history. We just, we might've called them angels thousands of years ago as well. Mm -hmm. We might be talking about very similar entities that our brain just makes just attaches an image to so we can attempt to comprehend or communicate with it. Um, sorry, go ahead.
2: No, all I, all I have to say is I'm going to deep dive on this so hard. Like <laughs> this, sure. this is fascinating well, good. stuff. Um, well, good. And you can tell me what the show was later, uh, that you caught. Cause I would be intrigued to see what they said, but I'm going to definitely go on my own research trail. Uh, that's ma- amazing.
1: Uh, it's hellier. Uh, if, um, if anybody wants to go for uh, for an interesting ride, it's on, I don't know what it's on. It's on one of the streaming platforms, it's, but mm-hmm. it's hellier. And whatever the description says that that show is about, it's not about that at all. <sighs> so um, just yeah, go for a little ride on that. It'll kind of bend your mind a little. Um, it's very interesting documenting. It starts off as sort of like a very basic I don't know, paranormal documentary. And then it kind of goes into some very interesting questions.
2: Um, yeah. It looks like it's on Amazon prime at least. So,
1: yeah, I think it is. Yeah. 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 So I would, yeah, I would recommend that. Um, it talks a lot, a lot of the ideas that I've just been talking about. So it's, um, right. It's interesting.
2: Um, well, I mean, for me, I don't know. I, I, I love ending on this kind of uh, exploration, you know, <laughs> So uh, um, go ahead.
1: No, um, no you, you, we should, but I got one bone to pick with you, and then we can go. Oh, um,
2: oh, man. Okay. All right.
1: So if for anybody listening, Brian and his wife have a very lovely newsletter that I skim through every month, and um, or every couple of weeks, every couple of weeks. And it's the Sovereign Technical Newsletter. And what, on one of your most recent episodes, you discussed one of the um, articles that you wrote in your newsletter. So everyone should go check out both his the episode, which I believe was anti, and the Sovereign Technical Newsletter, because um, it's pretty awesome. It's not just about tech, either. He goes into all sorts of wild stuff and interesting and valuable information, and I really dig it. I don't read every word every time, but I definitely scroll through and read what I find uh, interesting at the time. Honored. So you mentioned in your recent episode, it wasn't your most recent, but the, I believe it was called Anti,
2: correct? Yeah. That's the name of the episode. It's a couple episodes back. Uh, it's just called Anti. That's the name of the episode.
1: Yep. yep. Great episode. Um, and the intro to that was awesome. I don't remember Thank who that was, but um, so Basically, you were making the argument that mysticism or spirituality is antithetical to philosophy and economics and the material world and also money. And I agree with all those things. Um, And I'd like to see other people coming to the conclusion that, hey, maybe it's, you know the highest goal isn't economic production and efficiency, right? Maybe we can, maybe other things are more important to the human condition. And, you know, maybe everything doesn't have to be measured and quantified and commodified, right? I I love this thought and I'd like to see more expansion on this thought. And I really enjoyed the article. Mm -hmm. My only thing is, and I quoted this to you in your discord is uh, I, I quoted Silver Chair, which was interesting, and it was basically that anyone that says that money can't buy you happiness has never tried to live without it. Now, you say that to, you know, money it, maybe this is just the nature of money or the nature of our economy currently, but you say that money is not going to be able to lead you to um personal growth or spiritual enlightenment or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and I disagree in the sense that you have to get yourself okay stressing about money is a fucking killer and you know yes. i know everybody oh, yeah. knows that it will kill you dude it nothing in you won't sleep yep. whatever so if you're stressed about money you don't have the fucking luxury to even <laughs> start to begin to work on that personal growth or internal monologue or tr- strive towards something spiritual right you have to get yourself comfortable. Now, once you go start going past that and you're striving for money for the, just for the sake of more money and more, more, more. Yeah. That's an empty, you know, that's an empty, uh, empty pursuit. There's nothing there. There's no, you know, um, there's, that's not what life is about. You know, you got to get to that point where like, okay, we're comfortable. We can have fun and do the things you want. The things often the things I want to enjoy and have experience Sometimes most of the often they don't require money, but sometimes they do. I want to take my kids to go do whatever the thing or whatever, you know, have fun. That's what the, you know, that's more important than money. But sometimes that money, uh, sometimes that requires money. So at least in our current paradigm, I think to a certain point, no spirituality does require money. Oddly enough. And I fucking feel gross saying this. I really do, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but, You need to be comfortable, right? You need to be at least not stressed about it, because you won't be able to reach any kind of higher plane of existence if you're fucking stressed about money or where are you gonna feed your kids or what's gonna happen to my next paycheck? Am I gonna be able to make rent? It's fucking hard, man. So, and I grew up poor. It's, I, yeah, it sucks, man. It really does. And I, I will do whatever I gotta do to not ever be fucking poor again. Right. So, um, what, how do we, cause I find myself doing this all the time too. Ah, you don't need fucking money. You know, that's not what life's about. You know, life's mm-hmm. really about these other things. It's like, well, that's easy to say when I'm comfortable, you know,
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: not everybody's in that position, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm privileged to be in the position where I can think about these higher ideas and I don't have to worry about where my next meal's coming from. Right. So how, how do we describe this, this balance of like, yes, you need to take care of your material conditions, but that's not the end goal. It's not a goal in and of itself. Right. That just gives you the fuel to reach something different. How do we describe this balance? Right. Um, yeah. Thoughts on that?
2: Sure. So so the article that I wrote is the the anti economics of spirituality, and I want to read. I'll read directly from it. Just to kind of like, because I agree with everything you're saying, Sec. Like, I totally agree. Uh, So here here it is from, from the article. So, quote, to be clear, you're not going to starve for taking more time to practice your spirituality. But you will find less and less time for more, shall we say, hollow pursuits. Do you need money to survive in today's materialistic world? Yes, more or less. Can you buy and do cool things with more money? Yes, absolutely. So now it goes on from there, you know, explaining Like, okay, but supposedly this is what you get if you have money, but guess what? You can actually get it without it and and all of that. So as far as the balance, like, yeah, you're again, you're completely right. Um, And this is something, you know, where honestly, I think the communists, uh, as much as I completely disagree, or as much as I disagree with them, I I guess I'll say, uh, their point is right on that one of the major ills of civilization is that if you're expecting people to produce and be creative and productive, they can't do that truly when they're worried about a roof over their head or where the next meal is going to come from. And that's one of the, like the idea that communism is all about the community. No, no, no. They're, they, you know, communists would actually argue, no, it is about the individual and allowing the individual to really flourish can only happen when the standards that you lay, you know, listed off sec are met, you know, at the beginning. And I think they're kind of right about that. I'm not saying I agree with how they get to there. But I do agree with their point that you can't actually, you can't even begin to think about these things, uh, unless you have a certain amount of comfort, you know, in your life and in today's world that does, as I said, require money more or less, um, you know, and, and the idea that like, you know, can, can money buy you happiness? Yeah, totally. Like, but here's, here's where you, you have to, as far as the balance, this is the most important concept to understand. And kind of one of the key points I was trying to make, uh, and I do say trying, I don't always succeed in what I'm trying to say, but, uh, one of the key points I was trying to make is that money is limited. It hasn't not that like, I mean, we could print endless money, I guess, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is an upper limit to the depths of happiness that you can feel with money. Like money, hell money can buy you a wife. But is it going to be the same wife that you get from like actually engaging, uh, you know, in love and wooing and, you know, all these other wonderful things that we normally go through in our, our, you know, uh, ancient mating dance, you know, like money isn't going to be able to buy the connection. It can buy the thing, but it's not going to really be able to buy the connection that comes from the heart. So what's key is to understand that money is limited in application. Um, and yes, get to a point where you're comfortable, but always bear in mind that there are, um, higher pursuits that you can get to that money will never get you to. And spirituality is a key part of that. So I think that's the balance. Um, I have one other comment on that, but, but if Penguin or Sec, if you have something you want to respond to with that, go for it.
1: Yeah, this is where it gets tricky being, uh, Sort of an anarchist that's fond of markets, right? Because it's like, well, where do we start to draw the line? And the communists were right on a lot of things about like just commodifying every last little aspect of like human experience. So I just got I just tweeted the other day. I said, the older I get, the more I find the commodification of everything gross. I love me some market activity, but maybe every last little aspect of the human experience doesn't have to be bought and sold. And this was probably right after we were having our conversation on your discord. Mm -hmm. But um, this is something I've been trying to come to terms with and find. I don't know how to find the line. It's one of those things that like, uh, I just know it when I see it. Right. It's one of those things where it's like, I like markets and I like sort of the entrepreneurial spirit. And I like Part of me likes to hustle and whatever, and and I think markets is actually the best way to make it so at pe- more people can do things that they really enjoy doing, um, and and create the space and the abundance that they can make a living doing things that they actually enjoy doing,
2: mm-hmm. and I
1: think that's the best way to go about that. It's, it's almost an anti-work position, you know, but right, um, but on the other hand, it's like I start seeing like. Drone advertising it in the night sky for like Candy Crush apps. And yeah. I, I just want to blow my brains out. I'm like, stop. I'll <laughs> just stop. You know, like, it's like, do we have to have, or like, permits so that you can go look up at the stars? Do you know what I mean? Right. So it's like, do we need to, like, do we have to put a price tag and, and on everything? And also, who the fuck am I to say what we put a price tag on or not? Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. where where is the line drawn? Where it, there's a certain point where even for me as as someone who likes free markets, it's just gross. It's just gross. It's just, I, I I can't give you too many examples now, but just the turning everything into a fucking commodity, it's like, relax, you know, and maybe this wouldn't be the case in a free market. Maybe we would have the abundance to where like, not every little thing has to be like uh, a mark a checkbox on a, on a form and a, and a, and a, a price tag. Maybe we get to that point. I don't know, but the communists are right. At least on this part, they really are.
2: Yeah. I want to get, want to get into things on that. Um, so my fear is that that is that I don't think freed markets would stop that from happening. And I said, freed, not free even, you know, I do. I really don't. And my example is uh, early 20th century Niagara Falls. Uh, I, I highly recommend watching a documentary or something on that. Um, there, believe it or not in New York, again, this is, you know, over a hundred years ago, uh, you actually had a pretty lax legislation and you saw one of the earth's grand, you know, greatest beauties and natural resources have exactly what happened. What you just described a sec where everything was commoditized and it got so bad that like an entire wall was erected around this thing. You couldn't even see it, and like you had people paying. It was like a it was like a a five cent peep show in New York City to be able to see this damn thing. Like, but they they erected just a gigantic wall so that no, you want to see the (laughs) the fucking earth you were born into. If you want to see it, you're gonna pay you know whatever to see past my shitty wall. Um, and I am I'm very concerned that that's exactly how things would turn out. That doesn't mean I want to regulate shit like what ended up happening to Niagara Falls, but. I am worried that that's not enough. Now, the second point I want to make quick is that Marx, Karl Marx actually didn't have a problem with markets. His problem was that, because he said that markets or capitalism would be, which I know for some people, those can be different things and that's fine. But his point was that markets are a necessary step to human evolution. Like you have to go there and let them run their course and do their thing. And then you move on from that. So his actual problem was not evolving from the market system. Um, And and of course, then the next step would be communism. And I would say that Marx was actually even talking about going beyond that. Now, I don't like Marx. I'm not, you know, I'm not defending him here. But I'm just saying that let's understand that the communists do understand the importance of markets and that they actually thought they were a good thing. It's just that eventually you have to evolve beyond that. Now, I'm not going to say we're going to evolve into communism. I would say that we should evolve, you know, even beyond that. But again, that's, that's a massive subject.
1: You want to know a funny thing? Bastiat makes the same argument.
2: Yeah, right.
1: So he makes the argument in economic harmonies, uh, chapter eight, uh, private property in the commonwealth. And essentially uh, there's one paragraph that I, I quote sometimes, but he basically says that, um, a free market that respects property will eventually create so much abundance that more and more things get removed from the uh, the concept of property and into the common domain.
2: That's so, almost exactly what Mark says. Yes. Yes, yeah. it's very yeah. similar. Um,
1: yep. And I tend to agree with that. Um, for you know, for the most part, that it would almost lead to. I hate using the term post-scarcity because everyone takes right. me very, very too literally. Like, yes, mm-hmm. okay, listen, I understand yeah. there is finite resources and that right. there is not actual, like, non-scarcity. I understand, like, that there is these things. The uh, So an actual, like, literal post-scarcity could not exist, at least until we're traveling the cosmos and then who knows.
0: So it's not scarcely in absolute terms, but I mean, in practical terms, Uh, you could
1: get Yeah, in practical or de facto. You could reach a point to where there was so much abundance that people valued these things far less. This is basic supply and demand. Like, you know, uh, we
0: could be heading there pretty quickly, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, you you know, I mean, just look at now compared to 100 years ago or 50 years ago. um, You know, we do complain a lot about like the, the status quo and, and and the progress of things or the direction of things I should say but that being said that like tremendous efforts are being made you know one of the my big ways of like um, framing like the stuff like we talk about in the podcast where we critique a lot of things excuse me is that sometimes I feel like there's like basically um, fundamentally conservative forces that are basically because they're in a position of power or or, you know ease or wealth or abundance or something a privileged position or something a relatively good position that they will try to I guess hold back kind of the progress that's come, being come up with by technology like whether it's like you know physical technology or or electronic or social technology of, of some sort so and how those interact so like um, we could achieve you know basically how I look at it, because I do think, like, how do I, how do I vibe the idea that under, see, I don't want to, like, give, I don't want to give credit to capitalism, or any one system, or any one certain idea, but under this kind of modern system, which includes markets, includes private property, and and, and the thing we know is capitalism, and includes the state, and includes a, a lot of things that might have some contextual or limited benefit, some you know, might be net good, net bad, and other things, and that's that's for us to discuss. But un- under what's kind of inked its way out to the top, um, this world order that we have a lot of criticisms of, and I think we are completely within our rights to have criticisms of. I mean, we have we're moving into a place where we are um, eliminating abject or extreme poverty and star starvation in those yeah. places, and um, so much. Pro- and the fact that like basic like the the kind of lifestyle consumer goods, which yes, there are criticisms of like rampant consumerism, but like consumer goods, like televisions, PCs, cell phones, and everything, all this technology is is becoming rapidly diffuse all over the world and in every part of the world, every country. Um You know, transportation and cars and stuff. Yeah, and there's and, and there's an issue. Like I don't know if we can have like a billion cars on roads, but like. um So much progress is being made towards a world of abundance that's that's exponentially better than just not very long ago. Um, And not that we are going to measure progress by just GDP per capita, but um, even as a proxy, that's like shooting up. But that's you know there's flaws in that measurement. But there's flaws in a lot of things, and I think we're we're right to say that progress isn't bearing the fruits that it could for the most people because of certain privileged people and classes and, and and you know but like we are potentially really heading towards a post scarcity that like if you can overcome the the forces that kind of want to protect their inbuilt privileges in the status quo um and just allow open source and open stuff and i'm not talking about necessarily commons per se that i mean to the extent that those things are commons yes but i'm not talking about necessarily a wide adoption of like common property, at least leading up to that. But if you can just take out the, um, the rent seekers and those that are basically, especially rent seeking to preserve their, you know, positions um, of privilege, holding back the true implications of like our our technical advancements. I think we could, we're moving doubtlessly towards some sort of post-scarcity. Yeah. I think it's got a de facto sense.
2: Right. Yeah, there's a term. There, there's a book from a few years ago that I really enjoy. Uh, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I enjoyed it by Jeremy Rifkin, and the book is called the uh, Zero Cost Society. And I think that's actually a much better term than post scarcity okay, yeah, yeah. is zero cost society. Now, even in the I book, right? Yeah, even in the book, Rifkin would argue that there's no such thing even as a zero cost society. It would be a near zero cost society if you wanted to be technical, but it just doesn't roll off the tongue as well. But I. I have come to really, you know, this whole episode has really been about finding nice terms. Uh <laughs> I think that's the theme. Um, but I've really come to love the term zero cost society instead of post scarcity, because right, by dictionary definition, of course, it's not possible, even with every all the wild stuff about the universe we were talking about. Um so yeah, I'm gonna leave my points at that. Uh and the other, the second point that I wanted just to make earlier, and I want to make it quick, uh, is that I'm not saying money isn't a part of existence, but I am saying that spirituality itself has nothing to do with adding more zeros after the one on your bank account, and sure. that's the key thing that I want to I, I want to get across to people uh, in the concept that it's that spirituality is anti-economics.
0: Absolutely, 100%. yeah, uh, money is yeah, money to me is purely utilitarian. And the fact is, is that money, I guess, I don't know if if I'm going to use terms perfectly correctly here, but money allows us to um, manage more complex systems and more complex networks of like human-human interactions, ultimately. Uh, Supply chains and what we call an economy. But it, it allows us to manage, I guess, complexity in a way that we really wouldn't under a more... You could say primitive system without money and i think it would be a much more primitive and much more bare system without money but it's purely utilitarian as yeah it's a tool i mean to me yeah it, it should be used i mean as a as a unit of account and the shadow exchanges and i mean yes um global finance and you know things that are done with that there is there are criticisms but i mean i i think that you know that basic kind of information Sharing and processing that we need to run Just the basics of an economy that allows for like just a modicum of the kind of abundance that we have requires You know that that tool or that technology that we call money
1: Yeah, well said great
0: point But the love Um, of the love of money and all that stuff that's that's really a whole, and it doesn't it's not even referring necessarily to the technology of money Exactly, that's just the unit of account, you know yeah, it's more power,
2: really. Um, Don't worship tools. There we go.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great point. Well, Brian, uh, we should probably let you go. We've been going a bit uh, longer than we thought we were. So um, oh,
2: This is awesome. I really appreciate it, guys.
1: No, this has been fun. Uh, it's been great. We got, we're all over the place. And uh, do you have anything you want to plug?
2: Yeah. we haven't know, mentioned? Sure. Uh, that we haven't mentioned? No, whatever yet, you want. But whatever I'll plug. I got to plug the newsletter. Um my wife, Mrs. Sovereign, she's just does amazing work on that. And of course, this whole conversation kind of spawned out of that. So just go to Sovereign. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N. So sovereign.substack.com to uh to sign up for that.
1: Yeah, right on. Um well again, man, thanks for coming on. It's always uh it's always fun having you on. And um I think you're still reigning champ. I think I think you still have the most episodes. I'm so, still the
2: most episodes on the Agora Podcast. Awesome. Yep, we'll keep that way. going. I know we've got a lot more we're going to get into, even probably just what we talked about here. So I can't wait.
1: I know. I kind of feel like we just opened up a door on this episode that we could go in a million different directions, and I really enjoy that. Love but it. Uh, I always value the shit out of your your opinions and your thoughts, man. You keep it interesting, and uh, uh, we'll we'll see you on here again next time.
2: Same, guys. Thanks.
1: All right. Peace. Uh, Everybody be excellent to each other.
2: Be excellent to each other. Ciao.